This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. What is up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for our guest this morning because he's helping people to create financial freedom through real estate, which historically, if you look at it, right, a lot of investments out there are risky, but the one that consistently pays off and consistently pays dividends is the reason my father's retirement is in it is in real estate. So Michael, thank you for hanging out with me today, man. It's great to be here, Jeremy. So I've got to find out first and foremost, you've got a pretty interesting story that's gotten you to where you are, that you started as an employee to a software IPO to entrepreneur, and then you lost everything investing in a pizza franchise before getting into real estate. So tell us about that, man. I got to hear about this. Yeah, it all started when I read this awful purple book, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, which basically ruined my life. I was pretty happy at the time. I was part of the software company. I wasn't a founding member. And so we had a software IPO in March of 2000, a company called Web Methods. It was at the time, the fourth successful IPO in history. And it put a bunch of money in my pocket. Well, four years later, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it just, you know, I thought I was a smart guy, Jeremy. I really did. I had it figured out. And I read this book and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. You know, it doesn't matter how much you have in your financial advisor, your bank account, how much passive income are you deriving from this? Because if I stopped working, the money would stop flowing. And I was like, man, I never thought of that. And it really shook me to the core, to the point where I came home one day to my wife and said, hey, honey, good news, bad news. I quit my job today, but good news, we're going to build ourselves some passive income. <laughs> so, And that's how the journey started. Unfortunately, it was not a straightforward process like we have worked out today. But my big idea at the time, because Kiyosaki talks about a cash flow business, which was, of course, restaurants. Now, I knew nothing about restaurants, but I was surrounded by restaurateurs and franchisees. And you know, I got that's to know a lot better. of overhead, by the way, for your first investment. Well, I know that now. Well, look, I had some money to deploy. Okay. I had money to deploy. So I got into this thing. I hired a guy to run everything. It was set up as a passive investment. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the recession had different plans for me. And it turned out to be the opposite of whatever a passive invest called an active investment, also known as a nightmare, because I eventually had to let my guy go because we were not making money. And then it went worse. And then after I let him go, I was running six restaurants myself, driving an hour one way. And that was not a really great start to my entrepreneurship, but that's kind of how it started. Well, so it's interesting though, because if you look at it, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Founder about McDonald's. McDonald's and if you look yeah. at the McDonald's franchise, he actually made most of his money on the land that the McDonald's places it on. So the real money is real estate. And I guess for you, when did you realize that the right investment for you to put money into was real estate? I didn't. This is the thing. So I dug myself out with real estate. And when you say real estate investing, here's the problem. You read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you're like, oh, real estate. Well, most people are watching HGTV and they're going to flip a house. They're going to landlord. They're going to do the burr method, right? They're going to buy a townhouse, right? Or flip a townhouse or whatever. Well, that's what I did. And I had flipped a house because at one point I was semi-retired for about two and a half years. I needed something to do. So I flipped a couple houses. It was a great experience. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to doing that because that worked really well. So I flipped like three dozen houses. 
And after about three years, I accidentally got into an apartment building. I did take a seminar. I knew about apartment buildings back in 2006. Because it seems like if you listen to a lot of the guys out there, they're talking about apartment buildings, right? Like multifamily seems to be the way. Well, maybe it seems to you and I now, but most people actually talk about just flipping houses and landlording and building a portfolio one house at a time. And that's what I did. And I was like, after a while, I was like, man, there's nothing passive about flipping houses. If you're not buying, fixing, and selling, you're not making money. And then worse, once you sell it, the money stops flowing. I was like, this is not right. Something is not right. Now, I had gotten into an apartment building, which at that point was stabilizing. It actually was sending me like $1,000 every month. And I was like, man, $1,000 is great, but I need more like $10,000 a month. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I should stop flipping and do more of this apartment building. Right. And then I had another problem, which is, well, how do I make the shift and how do I actually raise capital for this? Because apartment buildings cost a little bit more than a single family house. And that's kind of when I started shifting from one to another. So let me ask you this then for the regular person listening, you know, they probably have a job that they're tied to minimum 40 hours a week. Most people aren't working, you know, are working a lot more than that now if they are working. Where do they start? Like, how do they find that first deal? How do they figure out how to fund it? What does that look like for like your regular everyday person trying to create financial freedom? The problem is when I come to you and anyone listening, watching this and saying, hey, you know, you should forego the single family house. Or if you do invest single family, just stop that or get into apartment buildings because that's where the real money, that's where the real financial freedom is. And they go, yeah, I've heard that before, but here's the problem. I don't have the experience to get into these big properties and I don't certainly don't have the money. Now, even if you ever own money, you're going to run out eventually. Sure. I don't have the money. And this kind of hamstrings them. And so the question is, how do you get started? You got to wrap your head around those two things. And this basically holds most people back from even having a conversation about this because they can't overcome this in their mind. Now, what we found, of course, over the last several years, five years, whatever, since we've been educating people is you don't actually need five to 10 years of real estate experience and you don't need a million dollars in the bank to buy your apartment building. And that is surprising to most people. Now, we've been doing this for so long that people are now actually skipping the single family house investing. In fact, I had an 18-year-old on the podcast who is doing exactly that. He's like, oh yeah, you know what? I read your book and I'm just going to get right in apartment buildings. I said, you are? That's fantastic. And this is the more common thing now, although most people take this multi-year passage through single family house investing. So is it come down to raising money then? Because you're talking about like, you know, an 18 year old is probably not going to have that money in pocket unless they already came from money. How do you go about funding that then? Because, you know, mortgages for something like that, most people can't even afford the monthly payment. Yeah, that's right. Well, they come from, like you said, raising money. And the surprising thing about people with money is they've invested, of course, in the stock market. The problem with the stock market is, well, three problems with stock market. Number one, it's very volatile. I mean, in the long run, of course, it makes money. But if you're trying to retire or you're trying to pay for your kid's college and there's a recession like six months before you need the money, crap, I'm just wiped out. I lost 30% of my stock portfolio. And this is a major setback for a lot of people. If well, and you, you look money. at right now too, the stock market's at highest ever is every week where we are right now. But if you look at it, inflation's around, I think the producer inflation was what, like 7.9% in December. So it's yeah. that number isn't as high as it looks to be. Well, that's exactly right. And well, that's a fourth problem as well. But I mean, the biggest problem <laughs> is reliability. People can't make reliable long-term financial planning. That frustrates people in the stock market. Yeah. Number two, it generally doesn't produce cash flow. Dividends not really being cash flow where you can go quit your job. And then number three, they pay taxes every time the financial advisor sells something and buys something. So some people are scratching their heads going, is there something else besides stocks? Right, And that's when you kind of get into the world of, yes, there is. 
There's actually a whole wide world of alternative investments, ranging from precious metals to oil to real estate syndications. Syndication is just a word where you can invest some money. You have access to a very large apartment building. You own a sliver of it. And you know, without the operator having access to these kind of deals, you would never be able to own a sliver of it. And it's perfectly legal. It's regulated by the SEC and you invest some money and you get a share of this building. And with it, you get the share of the passive income, the tax benefits, which are extraordinary, and then of course, any wealth. So it's a great way to actually build cash flow. I mean, if you're looking for an 8% cash on cash return, that's typical in the syndication world, right? If you're looking for a 15% average annual return and it's higher in an inflationary environment like now, now the returns are, the difference in real estate is that with inflation, the returns actually go up because our rents go up, mm-hmm. right? Therefore, the values go up. Therefore, instead of a 15% return, it's going to be a 20 or 25% return. So it's also a fantastic hedge against inflation. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know for my dad just retired this past September. And one of the large part of his portfolio is called an APEC2 fund. It's a investment fund out of Alaska for real estate. And it's cash flowing at 8% monthly, which is great. So it's paying a lot of his expenses in terms of that and his other investments he has lined up. It's interesting that you mentioned that because it's a similar concept to what he's doing, right? He puts in you know a few hundred thousand dollars and then that cash flows every month. It's like when somebody owns a sports team, right? You look at a lot of sports teams, they have the major owners and they have the minority owners that own a whole bunch of it and they still own the team and they can still make some decisions, but they don't own the majority of it. So I guess we're looking at like regular people then, how do they get involved in something like this? Because it makes sense, right? You buy a little bit, you get more money, you reinvest it, you buy more, you buy more and it keeps cash flowing at a higher rate. Yeah, it's really two things. One is educating yourself, right? So you're hearing this right now going, oh my gosh, there's syndications. It sounds like, is it legal, right? Like, So the first one is, well, educating yourself and familiarize yourself a little bit. You don't have to be a deep expert and spend days and hours. Get familiarized and then align yourself with operators. Now, for example, we're an operator. We own you know, 2,000 units, about a quarter billion dollars in value, but there are others like us. You know, the Probably the most familiar to most people is Grant Cardone, right? He's a giant marketer and that's what he does is he had does syndication. So you'll find an operator that you resonate with, that you learn to trust, you know, things to look for, things to maybe avoid. But the point is you align yourself with an operator. And the good news is you don't need 10 of these. It's not like I need a stock portfolio of 10 stocks and 10 operators. You find yourself one or two. And what typically happens is if you like them, then you just keep reinvesting with them every single year, every single quarter, whatever your frequency is. And you just keep investing with them. You go deep with them and you build a relationship with them. So upfront, it might be a little bit of work to get to know them. And once you know and trust them, you're just wiring money. I don't even need to see the executive summary. I'm just going to wire you the money. So let me ask you this then, Michael, because like, it sounds great. It sounds exciting. But I think for your average person, like there's still things you have to know, like pitfalls, like what things should you know or what things should you be looking for to know you're, you know, making the right decision, investing in the right place. And also at the same time, like investing the right amount of money, because there's probably expenses and things you're just not thinking of, you know, in the basic investment. Yeah. I mean, most people, when they start, they start with whatever the minimum investment is. And most syndications start at $50,000 and they go up. And they pull some money out. They call their financial advisor and they're like, I think I'm going to sell $50,000. And they're like, ah, it's a bad idea. And so that's how they get started. And they just invested with an operator. And here's the thing. I mean, you really want to get to know these operators. There are a wide variety of operators and some are good and some are less good. And so, you know, your job is to figure out, well, which are the ones that actually have track record, produce consistent results, maybe even have gone through a downturn, experienced challenges in their lives and their business and know how to handle stress, like the last recession, for example. And it's just a matter of sitting down with them, asking them questions, looking at their track record, and then, you know, just dipping your toe into it and see how they perform. How do they communicate, right? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Things like that. 
So let me ask you this, Michael. We've kind of mentioned you've worked your butt off. You've been through a lot of stuff. You've had good investments. You've had bad investments. For people listening, from your life experience and your investing experience, you know, I guess what would be the biggest key learning point you would tell them you know, when hearing all this? I have never used mentors early on in my career. And I just felt I didn't need them. I was freaking smart. I had money. And I didn't need anyone. I think a lot of us have that viewpoint right away, man. Like, I know it. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And I'll figure it out because I'm smart and resourceful, which I am. But man, I could have avoided, I don't know what the saying is, but you try to learn not just from your own experience, but from other people's wisdom and their own experience. I try to do that. Now, every human has to go through a certain degree of their own pain. Otherwise, we don't really evolve as humans. But man, the more I can learn from others, the better. And I did not do that. I insisted on basically going through the pain myself repeatedly, learning the restaurant business and going through the pain of the restaurant business, learning house flipping, learning apartments and iterating on that over a number of years. I probably lost 10 years in this grand experiment of me trying to figure out stuff on her own. You know, contrast that you probably have had advisors, mentors and coaches. And I pay six figures on coaches now and I have for several years. And it boggles my mind what these people bring to your reality, the way they bend your mind and the things they've done and take for granted. And you're like, what? You've done what? Oh, how? I didn't think that was possible. And all of a sudden you're like, boom, you shave off like three years off your journey. And the biggest advice I've had is to surround yourself with girls with what you want to do. If you want to grow and get to the next level, surround yourself with people who are at that next level. So let me ask you this then, because I think I know for me, this was a struggle early on. I know for a lot of successful people I talk to, this is a struggle. When you're looking at starting to create some of these things that cash flow and it starts to free up your time, looking at it, it's what we want, right? But a lot of us struggle with that once our time gets freed up because we're taught like you have to be working, right? Like we're training this way of you work minimum 40 hours a week. A lot of people are working, you know, 80, 100, stuff like that. How do you deal with that once you start freeing up your time? Like, how do you actually enjoy it? Because I think for a lot of people, they stress themselves out once they start getting free time. Yeah, it's interesting because I observe this all the time because, you know, on our podcast, we interview people who have done exactly that. They've quit their job with real estate and, well, everybody wants to know how they did it. And what happens is when they quit their job, of course, it's very exciting and also very scary for the reasons you just mentioned. What happens to people, most people, is they enter a temporary state of confusion. Literally, they're home at 2.30 in the afternoon. Their wife's like, what are you doing here? And they're like, I don't know because their identity was so wrapped up in their previous job. And now they've lost their entire identity, their entire reason for being on this earth is all of a sudden gone. And it confuses them. I mean, it's like everybody's an enviable position, but it confuses them nonetheless. And what happens now is that they start asking questions like, why am I really here? I thought it was for the job, but obviously, well, that went away. So now what am I supposed to do? And it opens up their minds to ask questions around what their purpose in life is. And this is really what I- That's so interesting because I think so many people's identity is tied to what they do every single day, but do continue. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. But this is why I do what I do. I don't do it necessarily for the financial freedom. I do it for what it empowers a person to do after that because they invariably start asking questions around significance and legacy. And almost all people, while they continue building their business, almost all people somehow gravitate towards helping others. It's like, you know, you're on the plane and you're told to put on oxygen mask on you first. And then, so you got an oxygen mask on, you got another one in the right hand. Well, you're going to look around. I already got an oxygen mask on and you look around to put it on someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with financial freedom. Okay. Now I took care of myself. Yay me. What is my purpose now? And this really empowers people to now make a real difference. People write books, they do podcasts, they create educational, they volunteer more, they spend more time with their family, right? And so it really empowers people to live into their true purpose. 
Well, Michael, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. For people listening, you know, if they are looking to create financial freedom for themselves, if they're interested in real estate and they want to learn more about what you're doing, how is going to be the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Yeah, two ways is we have a podcast called Financial Freedom with Real Estate and the book on Amazon bestseller is also by the same name. It's a yellow book, unlike the purple book. It's also called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. And look at both or one of them and just start listening and see if that's something that resonates with you and something that you want to learn more about. Very cool. Michael Blanc, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Appreciate it.